Hi and welcome to this latest episode from 1914-1918war.com In this episode we'll be continuing our look at the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps uh, Last episode we looked at uh, their training and formation uh, Now they're off to the front, so let's, uh, or at least near the front So let's get on with the show Everything you hold for vile is at stake. Du hast uns starke Berührung mit der See, denn wir sehen für uns Hörnchen, Weltumfangen, Geistchen und Gewinn. Ja, dann trinkst du, gib mir dich von For women who successfully completed their training, the Hotel Metropole in Folkestone, Kent, was adopted as a staging post for women transferring to and from France despite the concerns of the town commandant about a sudden influx of a swarm of women into his town. He tried to insist that the women be confined to their quarters after 1pm in the afternoon, a suggestion that was summarily and quite wisely dismissed. Thankfully, he was to find his fears unfounded, and after the women had been in town for six weeks, he congratulated their commanders on the level of discipline that he saw being exercised. As is so often the case, people fear the unknown, and are often pleasantly surprised by what actually happens. For those women who coped with the homesickness and reached the end of their training, service in France beckoned. The usual experience for women transferring to France was a sea journey, followed by a first night in a shared dormitory, in which the lamps were kept lit to deter the ever-present rats. The WAX headquarters were in Abbeville, with various satellite camps at Calais, Boulogne, Saint-Omer, Etape, Dieppe, Le Havre and Rouen. The women's camps were sited away from the men's camps and outside of the main town. Camps were generally Nissen huts, although sometimes local cottages were used for accommodation. The accommodation tended to be limited, with each woman having a bed of three straw-filled mattress biscuits, a pillow and a couple of blankets. Here in the accommodation, the women were allowed to express their femininity a little more, being allowed to put up posters and pictures and bring in non-regulation bedclothes to brighten things up. The conditions could be Spartan, but the women knew there was a war on and had signed up for the life. As one woman put it, We are prepared for hardships, the mud is terrible, and since it is so bad here, it helps us to realise how unspeakable the conditions further up the line. However, no one grouses, soldiers don't, do they? And that, for me, sums up the motivation and attitude of the women who joined the WAX. The women had joined up to play a practical part in the war effort and saw themselves as soldiers helping in their own way. The food was basic and often not very good. One woman recounted how she found a cupboard key in her stew one day. Whilst we can assume that this was the exception rather than the rule, the WAX were fed the same fare as the rest of the armed services, including the ubiquitous... Maconochi stew. They were, however, able to supplement their rations with treats from the YMCA, the YWCA and Salvation Army canteens dotted around. Often allotments were planted on the camps to supplement the standard rations with fresh homegrown produce. Legally, the women of the WAX were civilians who were treated as soldiers and as such were subject to disciplinary action if they broke the rules that applied to them. The most common reasons for punishment were failing to wear correct uniform, returning late to camp, being caught out of bounds, 
or socialising with gentlemen officers. However, it seems that the women were either generally well behaved or very good at not getting caught, perhaps a bit of both. During the WAX deployment between July 1917 and March 1918, less than 100 punishments were handed out. For those caught breaking the rules, punishment tended to be fines, confinement to barracks, a good telling off or restriction of the women's privileges. When women were off duty, they were encouraged to relax and enjoy diversions such as putting on concert parties, music concerts, taking part in sporting activities, folk dancing and organised excursions. Of course, one of the most popular pastimes was meeting men. In these cases, fraternisation was allowed but was governed by rules to preserve the proprietary of the women. A woman was allowed to walk with a man, but not alone. Of course, as one officer observed, whilst the women might be issued a pass to go out in pairs, they separate at the gate and only meet again when the pass has to be given up. Where dances and entertainments were being put on, it was acceptable to invite men along, but the men had to have a pass from the WAC administrator responsible. Despite the restrictions and controls, some romances blossomed into marriages, with the permission of the superiors of both the bride and the groom required. A honeymoon was allowed, but then the women had to return to Britain, as it was forbidden for a married couple to serve in the same theatre of war. When the wax first began to arrive in France, they often faced resentment from the men whose roles they were intended to take on. This is unsurprising when you think about it. The men with roles in rear areas must have been acutely aware that their role was keeping them out of the trenches, of which they would have heard plenty of first-hand accounts. As one woman recounted, they say we've been brought out to release men to their deaths. However, this sentiment and experience was by no means universal, as shown in a report written in 19 that said, The appreciation shown by the soldiers for the work of the women and their obvious goodwill towards the corps made a pleasant impression on the commission. It seems that once doing a useful role, many of the criticisms receded. I wonder if this is because the men who had the biggest objection to the women were now gainfully employed in the front lines. The expansion and deployment of the wax was based upon the principle that no woman would be employed unless they directly contributed to freeing men up for field roles. As such, the Corps operated on a dilution principle that maintained that women were unlikely to be as good as or as efficient as men doing the same job. The dilution principle assumed that one or more women would be needed for each man substituted for service. Of course, this principle was used as a reason to pay the wax less uh, than the men for the same work. Some things never change. By the end of the war, more than 56,000 women had served within the wax. Women in France were employed in seven key areas of work, some better defined than others. Clerical, mechanical, telephone and postal are pretty self-explanatory, but women may also have been employed in household activities such as cleaning and cooking, often continuing their profession that they'd held before enlisting. Finally, there were, was opening for unskilled labour and other miscellaneous work. In reality, women were involved in a wide range of activities ranging from payroll administration, printing maps, gardening, driving ambulances, handling ordnance and supplies, and maintaining equipment as diverse as gas masks and artillery pieces. Some women, who were German speakers, were recruited into military intelligence roles and nicknamed Hushwax, and were involved in deciphering intercepted communications. 
Others worked alongside the Royal Flying Corps, repairing aircraft engines, welding and making replacement parts, with many transferring into the Women's Royal Air Force when it was formed in 1918. Some women were diverted into clerical and administrative roles, supporting the American Expeditionary Force, which was concentrating on shipping in com combat troops, so tended to have fewer support functions in their organisation. WACs were requested by the Americans when their experiment in recruiting English-speaking Belgium and French women as telephone operators failed. I'm guessing the American accent meeting a French accent didn't help with communications. These WACs were soon christened the Hello Girls. The need for clerical and postal staff led the Americans to request around 5,000 women to help fill these roles. From the outset, the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps battled against perceptions that women were not up to the job, that they could not cope with the rigours of life in France, and most damning, that they would be little more than camp followers sent to serve the soldiers. It was the latter perception that was to colour the women's service to their country, both during and after the war. Unfortunately, these perceptions were difficult to shift, despite generally good press reporting, and in one case support from the Archbishop of Canterbury. He went on record as saying, The moral standard amongst these women was extremely well done, the control exceedingly good, and the whole thing was very well done. However, the perceptions continued. Whilst the majority of soldiers appreciated the role of the wax, there were a minority who did not. In the face of difficulties with venereal disease picked up from prostitutes in France, the Defence of the Realm Act was amended to state that it was an offence to give VD to a soldier, and there were cases where some soldiers made unfounded accusations against the wax when they caught a dose, presumably because they'd rather say that than say that they'd been with a prostitute. However, a significant proportion of soldiers remained suspicious about the wax and their reasons for being in France. The perception that women who travelled to France were prostitutes was widespread amongst French civilians who believed that they were there for immoral purposes. There were even concerns that the wax would undercut the good honest French working girls, making their business unviable. Of course, there were pregnancies, but the women were often found to have been in early pregnancy when they joined the service, or got pregnant after getting married during the service. In reality, the number of pregnancies that actually occurred out of wedlock, whilst on active service, was remarkably small. These perceptions were bad for morale and recruitment though. As such, in February 1918, a commission of inquiry was set up to investigate the claims. The inquiry reported on the 20th of March 1918, and concluded, We feel that the large majority of the girls who have come forward in an hour of crisis and difficulty to share the work of men in the field have upheld the honour of their sex and their country in spirit, which should win for them the regard and gratitude of the nation. Of course, the wax were not just running moral hazard by uh, working overseas. There were real dangers as well. Although the women were not involved in frontline roles, they were undoubtedly within the war zone and were working and living in military installations. The most pervasive danger was German air raids. One woman recounted how the daytime raids were less scary than the night raids as she could see how our airmen would go up to fight them and we would see the struggle in the air, the white wings of the planes glancing in the blue sky and little puffs of smoke all around them, for all the world like little fluffy bits of cotton wool. 
Then the shrapnel would come clattering down and we would hastily take cover. The German offensives of March, April and May 1918 brought the dangers closer to the wax, especially in the form of air raids against camps in the path of offensive actions. As the crises evolved, the WACs were involved in additional activities to provide support to the wounded and were placed on an evacuation footing should the military position deteriorate further. Then, on the night of the 21st and 22nd of May, Abbeville was bombed and the WACs No. 2 camp was severely damaged and a number of women received minor injuries when a trench they were sheltering in collapsed. At the same time, in recognition of the good work carried out by the Corps, they were given the Royal Seal of Approval and the organisation was officially renamed the Queen Mary's Army Auxiliary Corps. On the night of the 29th and 30th, Camp No. 1 was bombed and three aerial torpedoes were dropped, one of which landed directly on a trench where a number of WACs were sheltering. Eight women were killed immediately, one died of wounds and six were injured. These were the first women to die while on active service and were buried at Abbeville with full military honours. As one WAC officer said, If we take the place of soldiers behind the lines, we must take the risks that come in their way. We mourn our comrades grievously, but we do not make any complaint. It is all in our day's work. Following the armistice and the subsequent peace treaty, the attention of the War Office shifted to rapid demobilisation, not least because of the costs of maintaining huge armies on the payroll. The WACs were no exception, and whilst women were still recruited on short-term contracts to allow men to be mobilised faster, the organisation was formally disbanded on the 30th of April 1920, but not before the Army Council had expressed its gratitude for the service that the WACs had given during the war years. They said... The assistance rendered by the officials and members of the Corps who came forward so willingly at a time of grave crisis has earned the gratitude and won the admiration not only of the army but of the whole nation. Difficulties, discomfort and in many cases the dangers of war have always been faced bravely and cheerfully and the discipline of the Corps throughout is worthy of the highest praise and has been in accordance with the best traditions of the army. That just about says it all, I think. Thanks for listening to that uh, deep dive into the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps. I found, hope you found it interesting over the last couple of episodes. Uh, I'm indebted to uh, a lady called Samantha Philo Gill, who wrote a, a good book on the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps uh, called Just That. So uh, look it up if you want, to, want more detail and some photos and the like. Um, thanks for listening as always please like share and do good things for this podcast and it allows me to carry on uh, producing it thank you very much and uh, look forward to you joining us next episode bye